Welcome to Vaginas, Vulvas, and Vibrators with Jordan Donnell. This is a safe place to learn about women's health and sexual wellness. I'm your host, Jordan Donnell, physician assistant, women's sexual health educator, and intimacy coach. On today's episode, we are talking with a cervical cancer survivor. She is sharing her story and her journey through dealing with cervical cancer in the middle of a pandemic. Her story is so inspiring. You are going to love to hear this. And I think many women are going to A, be motivated to go get their pap smears, but B, have a better understanding of what someone who goes through cervical cancer is dealing with during that process. This is the fourth episode in our series about the cervix. If you haven't checked out the Vaginas, Vulvas, and Vibrator swag, go do so now. You can find my favorites like We Had Sex Here and Here pillows. To snag those, go to swag.vaginasvulvasandvibrators.com. Be sure to check it out and help support this podcast. Today we have Amy Hurl joining us from Australia to tell us a little bit more about her journey. I cannot wait for her to tell us more. Amy? Welcome. You want to go ahead and tell us a little bit more about yourself? So my name's Amy and I'm 32. I'm from Melbourne, Australia. I'm really into fitness. I love my dog and my partner. We've been together for about, my partner and I've been together for about seven years. He's just my support network. Love him to death. I love it. Tell me what your journey with cervical cancer has been like. It's been, I think, in light of like a lot of other people's stories, I feel like mine happened so quick. Started in September last year when I just went, my coach encouraged me to get like all my bloods and my, like, make sure I'm up to date with all my pap smears and everything. Just get everything up to date. And I, when I got my pap smear done and that's when it started, I came back with abnormalities and I just had never had any abnormalities on my previous pap smears before. So I was just like, oh, okay. Like didn't really think anything of it because my doctor didn't really make a big deal of it. She was just like, look, this happens a lot. You might just go to the gynecologist and either be maintenance or it'll be a laser scan or something like that. But yeah, I didn't really think anything of it. And then I went to the gynecologist and this was during like COVID had just, we gone into our second lockdown in Melbourne and I wasn't going to wait to see a a public gynecologist because I knew with COVID that it would just get pushed back. And I'd previously heard of a girl that was in England who her pap smear wasn't classed as essential. I booked in to see a private gynecologist And he was able to see me and he did a colonoscopy, I think. I'm not sure if I'm saying it right. The colposcopy. (laughs) I never say it right. I'm like. (laughs) That's okay. A lot of of people don't say it right. And that's why there's so much confusion about the two. And they are very different. Yes. Yes. Not the one, the bomb. (laughs) Exactly. The other one. Yeah. 
And so I went and had my biopsy and he looked from the naked eye, it looks like precancerous. He's like, look, it does look like high grade precancerous cells, but I really don't think it's cancer. And I was like, okay, that's good. You know, I'm not going to stress too much. I just didn't really think anything of it because I was like, I'm not going to be that person. That's not going to be me. You know, I've never had any abnormalities before. It's not going to be me. I was at work and I got the phone call from the gynecologist. The receptionist said, is there anybody else going to be home with you? And that's when I knew it was bad news because when I'm at work and I have to have a performance conversation with someone, it's, you can bring a support person if you need someone. So I knew that something wasn't right, but I didn't have a lot of knowledge on cervical cancer. So in my head, I'm like, have I given HPV to my partner? Do I need to get him checked out? Or all these things just like go through your head. And then my partner couldn't be home at the time. And I had to be a video call because of COVID. And he pretty much goes, okay, Amy. So unfortunately, it shows that you have cervical cancer. And I just broke down into tears. I didn't, I didn't know what was next I didn't have a clue I was like oh my gosh this is so scary he just said I'll get you into the next gynae oncologist he had a doctor that was in the same room as him the next day I was pretty much in to see the gynae oncologist he did the same he did a a check over of me as well and he said he could see why the gynecologist thought it would have been precancerous and so that's when they booked me in for a cone biopsy. And he goes, this should be all, like, they were pretty confident that that was all I would need. With the cone biopsy, got into that really quick. That was within, within a week. And I felt really lucky that that was all happening. So I didn't really have time to wait or think or, you know, it was just like in their cone biopsy. I'm not sure if people know what a cone biopsy is. But it's when they cut a circle of the cervix out and that's in hope that they will get the early stages of the cervical cancer out. I had my results come within about a week after I'd had my cone biopsy and a gynae oncologist was like, I'm really sorry, Amy, but unfortunately there's still cancer there. So they've said that they weren't, they didn't think it was a lot of cancer left, but they said that they were pretty sure there was still about, I think it was like one to two centimetres. They booked me in for a PET scan and an MRI and had to wait for that because I think that was the longest waiting period that I had between having my results back from my cone biopsy to having the PET scan because my body needed to recover from the cone biopsy. But I was super, super lucky I got my PET scan and my MRI done on the same day. So it was good. I just got the results the next day. I had to go into the hospital and see my oncologist. At first, he's like, so your scans were good. And I was like, oh, okay. And I didn't really know what was like in between, whether there was anything in between having a cone biopsy and getting my cervix taken out or chemo, radiation, or a radical hysterectomy, I, I still, I, I wasn't sure. The doctor sat me down and I was very lucky that I have a very pushy mum 
and she pushed her way into the appointment with me. The doctor said, unfortunately, you have a rare and aggressive type of cervical cancer, which is glassy cell glycoma. I'm not sure how to say that last bit. I broke down in tears. I didn't know. I was just like, how did this happen to me? I, I don't understand, you know, if it, it was where the cervical cancer was sitting was just on the top of my cervix. And he said, unfortunately, because of the type of cancer it is, we're going to have to do a radical hysterectomy. I was just beside myself. I was like, what about kids? What about competing, doing what I want to do? Doctor said, so he put me onto a fertility specialist. I worked with the fertility team to get some eggs frozen, which was amazing. But my poor body just had a cone biopsy. Then, unfortunately, I have my bladder was in the way when they needed to do the egg removal. So they ended up having to do keyhole for my egg removal. Then, Five days later, I had my radical hysterectomy. And so my poor body's just been through the works. It was just a crazy time. And I thought, because I asked the doctor before I had my hysterectomy, would does this mean that I'll need to have any treatment after this? And he said, well, in hoping that we do the surgery is in hoping that we don't have to do any treatment after. But obviously we need to do the biopsy of your lymph nodes and everything like that first before knowing anything. My biopsies after my radical hysterectomy, they came back clear, which is great. But then I got the news that they suggested that I'd need to have five weeks worth of radiation due to the fact that they didn't know whether if they didn't do it, I'd be back in six months' time and it'd have come back. They suggested that I speak to the radiation team to kind of get that confirmation to make up my own mind whether I should have it or shouldn't. But I was like, I'm not going to risk being in the same position in six months' time when I've got my body healthy again and then come back and then they're like, it's back. So I had to do five weeks worth of radiation five days a week it was that was probably worse than the hysterectomy itself I think I was very very lucky I didn't have many side effects from the radiation I I worked the whole way through got a bit fatigued during the end but having to go to have radiation having to have you've got to have your bladder at a certain level you've got to have you know your bowels have got to be empty and You know, just that stress on your body, but then also being in a cancer hospital and you see all the people in the hospital and you're just like, I can't, I never wanted to label myself as a cancer patient because I don't think at that time I'd accepted it. And I was like, oh no, I'm still fine. Like this is not happening, you know, but I think as I went through the radiation, I was like, oh gosh, I'm here. Like there were days that were tough. There were days where you know, I was just like, oh, I have to go to radiation. I'd rather stay at work, you know, but I had an amazing radiation team. They were so amazing. I couldn't ask for a better team. The radiation team there kind of made the experience easy 
They were so awesome. There were a few times where we'd laugh about my bladder size because apparently my bladder was the talk of the town. I could guess how much was in my bladder when they do a bladder scan. (laughs) It was the best. For Christmas, I gave the radiation team a card that had a bladder that said I'm 600 meals on it. And I also gave, I had like a little poo as well. And it said no more enemas. So for those of you listening, you're probably wondering what are glassy cells? What is this? So glassy cell cervical cancer is a rare type of cervical cancer that has poor prognosis. It's kind of a combination of adenocarcinoma and squamous cell carcinoma. It's an adenosquamous cell carcinoma. It's a very rare form, and the statistic that I saw showed about 0.2 to 9% of cancers are glossy cell cervical cancer. If you don't mind me asking, you have had your uterus removed. What does your current family situation look like? My partner and I, yeah, we, we don't have kids. My fur baby, I've got my dog, Tom. I guess during that period in time when I thought I was only get, going to get my cervix taken out, I was considering not competing and having a baby because I thought that that was more of a priority than and more of a, you know, me competing is a, like my thing where I have a partner to consider as well. And so having a baby is, it's for us. And so that, you know, I was so glad that, you know, we did get eight eggs frozen, but now it's the surrogacy journey. Like in Australia, it's completely different to anywhere else in the world. I mean, I'm sure it's hard in the States as as well as it is here, but I have no words to even say about surrogacy. Like, I don't have anyone close to me at this point in time that would offer to carry the baby for me. I think with having a positive attitude and maybe at the right timing, someone may pop up, but we'll kind of hit that battle when we need to, or whether we decide that there's things in life that we both want to do and we can travel eventually again or have a buy our own house. If we do surrogacy, we're going to have to do IVF. And in IVF in Australia, it's like $10,000 every time you have to do eggs. You can't put a price on having a kid at the end of the day. And if it's something that my partner and I decide that we really want to do, then of course we'll do it. Like nothing's going to stop us. But that's probably the hardest thing you have to deal with, especially I can't imagine I have a friend who also has had cervical cancer who I made friends with during my journey and she's single like I can't imagine how it feels to be single and be like have to tell someone you can't have a baby that must be just hard you know something that plays on your mind where you know I'm very lucky I've got my partner I have an episode coming up in a couple of months with a friend of mine who for other reasons doesn't have a uterus and has gone through the surrogacy journey in addition to egg donation recipient. I worked in fertility for a while, so I have a lot of interest in fertility stuff. That's actually where my heart really is. It's a lot to 
think about. And I can't imagine the stress that you're going through when you, you just learned this diagnosis and you're, we're talking weeks, we're talking days and all of these decisions have to be made. And you don't, you're like, wait, what just happened? Now that first pap smear that you had in October, September, 2019, do you remember like what type of abnormal that was? Was it ASCUS? Was it high grade? Was it low grade? I believe it showed HPV 16. I think it just showed maybe some abnormalities. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it definitely showed HPV 16. That's why my doctor at the time was really chilled about sending me to the gyno. She's just like, you haven't had any abnormal pap smears before. So like I was a little bit overdue. But I actually asked other gynae-oncologists whether it would have shown up on any of my other pap smears and maybe I've just missed it or maybe something's happened. And he said, with the type of cervical cancer it is, they wouldn't have actually picked that up on the pap smear, which is true. They didn't. The first thing the gynecologist said to me when I did my video call with him just before I went in to see him was, you don't have cancer. And that was the first thing that he said to me. And I was like, okay, yeah, I know that I've got abnormalities and stuff. But I think that's where it like just every time I kept going to see them, it was like, yeah, no, it's really, it's it's only here. Oh, but hang on a minute, you've got to have this now. And it, yeah, it was a matter of days and then weeks and then the stress of, you know, I was, I'm a store manager of a retail store over here. and. COVID, you know, like I'm lucky I've got a really supportive team at work and they would drop of a hat, do anything. If I had to go to a meeting, my boss was absolutely amazing, but it was still stressful. Like I'm the type of person that I want to be present in my role. Like if I'm the store manager, I need to be there. I need to be, I'm the hardest worker there. I need to be showing my team. I need to be the role model. It was hard for me when all this happened because I needed to take a step back and let go of the reins and look after me and not everyone else. (laughs) Well, and it's amazing how bodybuilding came into your life, probably at just really the perfect time. I totally agree. Crazy how things work out. How have your friends been able to kind of support you through this? Or if you had somebody going through this, what kind of support did you find helpful? I'm very lucky. I think being in the bodybuilding industry, I have a lot of good support around me. But I also have some amazing friends that are outside the fitness and bodybuilding industry. I have my work colleagues. I have my family. I'm an only child, but my mum and dad, I'm very close with them. They were there. My partner's family were there. I think at first what I found the hardest was the cervical cancer ladies that I found on a like a group chat on Facebook. They were all older. They'd already had kids. A few of them had been through surrogacy or knew people who'd been through surrogacy, but it was like a friend of a friend. So I think the hardest thing was I just needed to find someone who had been at the similar age to me and or, you know, 
not even a similar journey, but a similar, just a similar age who understood, didn't have kids, who understood how I felt. And that's when the bodybuilding industry, another teammate of mine, she had a client who had cervical cancer, who had to have chemo, radiation and brachiotherapy. And we connected. The main thing that I think that has supported me the most is just I'm a quite open person, so I don't mind if people ask me questions or ask me if I'm doing okay. I don't mind if people are checking in on me. For me, I found any resource, the Cancer Council in Australia, you can call their line, you can speak to a nurse, you can ask questions. I definitely think if don't have a support network or a stronger support network is maybe what I have, I think reaching out to them is amazing. I actually reached out to them prior to my radiation just because I wanted to get some like idea about radiation, understand it more. And they actually connected me with a lady who had had ovarian cancer and who had to have chemo and radiation. So that lady connected with me and gave me a call and we had a big chat about it. That was really nice. But I think definitely finding if your hospital has a social worker, I was just really lucky. I'm very blessed to have an amazing support network around me. Absolutely. I wanted to know, how has radiation and surgery affected your sex life and intimacy? Yeah, that was the scariest part, I think, with after having all these surgeries was you couldn't have sex for six weeks. I mean, prior to that, my partner and I, we've been together for so long. It wasn't like a, you know, we'd not do it quite. It was regular, but not that, you know, you know what I mean? Now it's a fear. I'm like, oh, is he going to hurt me? You know, you read all these stories, even on the cervical cancer pages and, you know, girls are so nervous. I had to get given um, dilators to help me after radiation. I've only been out of radiation for a week and a bit now, so um, I don't have to start those. But I said to the nurse, she made me feel really comfortable about it all because I'm not a very sexual person. When I went to, was speaking to the nurse about the dilators, she said to me, she goes, okay, so with this, sex is best. You're best to get comfortable first obviously using the dilator and then after that make sure you have sex because it'll be way more comfortable than using these dilators she even suggested to me to get a vibrator and stuff like that and might make me feel a bit more comfortable not as hard I'm still very nervous but it's only been a week since radiation so my partner and I aren't going to rush into anything definitely very scary thing I'm so glad they gave you a vaginal dilator set because a lot of women don't know that they're available and their doctors aren't telling them about it when you can use it for many different conditions. One being after chemo or radiation, you know, another being after an episiotomy when you had kids and maybe the entrance is tighter or more narrow for women who have vaginismus or like uh, muscle spasms, there's so many uses for the vaginal dilator sets and yet people aren't talking about them. 
I appreciate you sharing about, you know, your, your intimacy. Cause I think that is one of the big questions and concerns for a lot of women who are going through this. There's just so many changes that happen and everybody's body responds differently. You can't really predict how it's going to respond and it's trial and error and you'll find, you know, what works now for you guys as a couple. And it might be a little bit different. With the intimacy, like, it'll come and I think it'll be at the right time. I think my boyfriend's probably just as scared too, like, because I thought he probably doesn't want to hurt me either. <laughs> so it's not just me. I think he's probably nervous too, like, it's, it's the, the both of us. But it'll happen one day. <laughs> yes, it will. It will. Well, Thank you so much for sharing this journey with me. I really appreciate it. And I think there's so many things that women who are going through this or who have gone through it will really appreciate hearing your story. And there's just, there's so many components to it. It reiterates how important it is to get your pap smears because even if you get them, something can change. HPV 16 and HPV 18 are the most common causes of cervical cancer. I think they make up like uh, don't quote me on the percentage, but I want to say 80% of cervical cancer cases. It's just really important to make sure you're getting your pap smears. And I'm glad we could talk about this during Cervical Cancer Awareness Month in the U.S. So I appreciate it greatly. Yeah, no, it's been good. It's good to get awareness out there and just make sure people are going to get their health checks. There's so many things, you know, with women's health that a lot of ladies don't know about. And so we just need to bring as much awareness to it as possible. Absolutely. And that is why I have this podcast. So before we wrap up, where can the listeners find you at? So Ames at triple 88 on Instagram. <laughs> A-M-Z-Z-8-8-8, triple eight. Perfect. Thank you again. I, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. No, thank you for having me on. This podcast is sponsored by Pure Romance by Jordan Jones. In today's episode, we talked about vaginal dilator sets. Pure Romance offers these as well as other top bath and beauty products and relationship enhancement items. Check out the link in the bio to start shopping and snag your vaginal dilator set. Thank you for joining today and continuing to bring awareness to women's health. If you love the show, please subscribe so you never miss another episode and leave a review for others to see. If you want to see me on the daily, you can check out my bio for links to all my pages. Be sure to share this episode with your girlfriends. Thanks again and see you next episode.